Good morning. Um, This morning's scripture reading is from John 10, uh, 1 through 21. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they no longer recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am, the grateful, I am grateful for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever ever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and ha- live it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and, ru- and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is hired a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is a demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Thank you, Michaela, for reading that for us. Um, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer real fast. Gracious God, thank you so much for uh, this morning. Thank you for the work that you've already accomplished in your word uh, up to this point. We pray that you just continue that work, Lord, uh, in a way that only you can. Um, Certainly through uh, the name of Jesus Christ, we ask uh, that you would just meet us here in this moment, that you would move us uh, to deeper following of the Good Shepherd, Lord, uh, that you would um, allow um, the, uh, the false and, and uh, um, just other teachings out there to just be nothing more than strangers' voices, God, because we are so in touch and so in love uh, with Jesus Christ and oh, so in love with our shepherd, Lord. We ask that you do that work for us this morning through your word, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in John 10 uh, this morning. We'll look a bit at uh, chapter 9 for context, but uh, I'm pretty excited this morning because um, we get to hit two of the I am statements. Um, In case anybody didn't know, we'll just go ahead and clear this up now. We have these symbols behind us, right? We have the hat, uh, the candy cane, the river, um, all of these symbols, right? That's not what they are. Did anybody know that these are the seven I am statements of Jesus through the gospel of John? That's what they are, the resurrection and life. That's an empty tomb, by the way. I know I'm not, I'm not that good of an artist, but that's an empty tomb. Shepherd's hook, bread of life, the way, truth, and life, the light of the world, uh, the vine, and then the gate. We get to look at the gate and the shepherd 
this morning. Um, in this passage alone, he has two I am statements, so I'm excited about that. Um, Matthew Henry, he's a, uh, a well-known commentator, a biblical scholar. He wrote this. Nothing fortifies men's corrupt hearts against the convictions of the word more than the high opinion which others have of them. As if all that gained applause with men must obtain acceptance with God. And up to this point in the Gospel of John, we've seen clearly how this really does define the Pharisees. Uh, the sect of religious leadership that they were so concerned with their own opinion of themselves and people's opinion of them that they denied and rejected the truth of Jesus Christ often. And we saw this very plainly last week through uh, chapter 9 that bread, uh, led us in. Right? There was a beggar, he was blind from birth, he was healed by Jesus Christ, and the Pharisees, instead of celebrating with the, the man who was healed, they decide to accuse Jesus for being uh, a lawbreaker. And so they respond with anger. They deny Jesus uh, could be from God. They insult the man uh, who was blind. They harass his uh, parents and intimidate them. And then they throw the man out of the synagogue. Right? This was how they decided to respond uh, to the miracle of Jesus healing this man. And this sort of thing happened multiple times, did it not? We've already seen it a few times already. Why did it happen so much? They were so concerned with their own status, with maintaining their own spiritual authority and image that they were ready to take on anybody who would run against that. And so at the end of chapter 9, Jesus is speaking uh, directly to the Pharisees. He's taking them on, and what he does is he calls them spiritually blind, right? These men who are supposed to be spiritual leaders, he calls them spiritually blind. Look at the last three verses of chapter 9. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. See, their problem is that they were blind, but they claimed they could see. This was the root problem with the Pharisees, and it's very similar uh, to the problem that we experience even in our own culture, our own country. It's this unconscious blindness. They do not see their spiritual need. They have no need for it. And to take it a step further, the Pharisees uh, claimed they could confidently see. Right? Not only were they blind, but they claimed they weren't. They had made up the answers. They, uh, their answers were found in their own status or their own morality or their own judgment. Right? It was unconscious blindness. They did not need anything. But there's another level of blindness, and it's the kind of blindness that is conscious of it. You're conscious of your spiritual need. You think about the example of the blind man from chapter 9. He knew very well he was blind, right? He was a beggar. He, he, he could not see. He knew he, he had a need, right? And this is the same thing that we are to at least come to a place of at some point is to understand that we have a need. Maybe you might still be blind. You have not yet made this, met the Savior, but please acknowledge that you have a spiritual need. We all do. Right? We feel the void. We know we're messed up. We know something's wrong with us. We don't have the answers for the questions of the human heart. And so Jesus said, I've come to make you see. If you claim you can see, I've come to make you blind. But for those who know that they need me, I, I've, come, I've come for you. I've come to let you see. Okay, that's, that's Jesus. That's why, that's why he came. 
By the way, this is the work that the Pharisees should have been doing. It's the work of the church now to make this world aware of its need for Jesus. We don't do this through judgment or condemnation or bigotry, but through promoting Jesus. By making this world aware of him, by being his hands and feet, by serving those around you, by living and proclaiming the word of God, by openly openly expressing your need for him and how he's met you, how he's made himself real to you. Sometimes you just don't know how dark something is until it's contrasted with light. And so the work of the church is to be that contrast to the world so that people are lovingly and graciously moved to see how dark things are apart from Christ. This is what the Pharisees should have been doing. Right? This was a charge given to all spiritual leaders from, G, uh, from God himself. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. The Lord says this, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. And yet in Matthew 15, Jesus says this about the Pharisees. He says that they honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. They're not seeking God's heart. Their hearts are far from God. Right? And so God saw this need and he sends a savior. He sends Jesus Christ. He sends the good shepherd that we're going to talk about today. It's to shepherd his people in all of the ways that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were slacking on. Jesus is the shepherd the people need. Listen to these words in Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have been, where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them. And they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Jesus, Judah, will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is Jesus. And so here in chapter 10... Jesus explains how he has the authority, the ability to shepherd God's people as God desires it to be done. And he does it in the same language of shepherding. This is how he describes it. He uses the symbolism. So look with me at the first six chapters. Sorry, not that much scripture. Uh, The first six verses uh, of chapter 10. Some people got scared there for a second. Verse 1. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus lays out the setting, right? First of all, you have the sheep and the sheep pen. This is the collective group of God's people, right? Uh, uh, In Old Testament application, this would be just the nation of Israel, people that were um, called out by God. This was his people, 
right? But in, in the church application, the New Testament application, we understand this to just be the church. You and I are sheep. How do you feel about that? They're not the brightest things in creation, right? We are sheep. We are, we are sheep. We are his sheep. Right? So we are, we are the sheep. We are in the sheep pen, and then we have a shepherd. And the shepherd, he's the owner. He's the leader. He's the keeper. He's the nurturer, the protector of the sheep. You have this guy, the gatekeeper, the watchman. Right? We're going to call him uh, later the under-shepherd. And he keeps watch of the sheep in the shepherd's stead. Right? When the shepherd uh, is asleep or away, he keeps watch. He protects. Right? This is a normal setting. Uh, one that was uh, very relatable to that day because the sheep ranching was so ingrained in their culture. So Jesus uses this language, he uses this symbolism to describe how he is the one good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, he's the qualified shepherd. And when he does this, he contrasts himself to the Pharisees who were um, terribly distorted in the way that they shepherded. Cloudy, sinful, inadequate is who they were as shepherds. And ultimately what we're looking at today are the ways that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is better. He is greater. And this brings us right up to our first point. We see this right away uh, in chapter 10 that Jesus is a good shepherd by qualification. He's the accredited one. He's the one that is qualified. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. So what he's telling the Pharisees is that they've climbed in another way, right? They, they snuck in somehow. They slimed their way into the, into the fold, right? You, you see Jesus exchange a lot of words with religious leaders throughout uh, the New Testament, but, but not so much as the Pharisees. Right? He's constantly at odds with the Pharisees because they were always there. They were always trying to maintain what they established, always ready to take on anyone who spoke otherwise. Their righteousness was self-created. Their position and voice over the Jewish people was self-created. They were self-appointed, self-trained, self-seeking group of spiritual leaders so captivated by their own status and piety. And even if there were some Pharisees who, who might have had some genuine spiritual concern for God's people, and, and there possibly were, just being a Pharisee meant that you uh, were part of this institution that fostered this sort of, uh, of self-appointed attitude. They weren't sent from God. They were, they were self-sent. They climbed in. They snuck in. They did not enter the sheep pen by the gate. They were unqualified. Bad shepherds. This is verses, this is contrary to Jesus, right, who has all the credentials in the world. He's the good shepherd. Look at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. This is so awesome. He didn't climb in another way. He didn't need to. Why? Because he is the way. See, Jesus fulfills two pieces of the setting. Not only is he the way into the sheep pen, but he's also the keeper, the shepherd of the sheep. Right? He doesn't need to climb and he doesn't need to sneak in. He is the way. He is the way. You want to be a part of God's people. You want to uh, fall in line, be aligned with the Lord through Jesus Christ. You have to do it through Jesus Christ. He is the way. Right? We, we, we spent three weeks on this very idea uh, in our Easter series. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Look ahead at verse 14 and 15. 
This is where the second time he declares that he's the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pit and I must bring them also. See, Jesus is the good shepherd and and part of his qualification is that he is actually one with the Father. He knows the Father and the Father knows him. We'll pick apart that word uh, knowing here in a little bit. But he knows the Father, right? He's not a self-appointed. He's not self-appointed. He's appointed by God himself. God frequently in the Old Testament refers to himself as, as the shepherd, shepherd over his people. And so now that Jesus is here and Jesus knows the Father, right, he, he, he is qualified uh, through the Father. He is one with the Father. This means Jesus had the shepherding qualifications of the Father. He's been sent. Right? You don't get more qualified than this. Jesus is the only one with the title Good Shepherd. Right? And this brings us to our next point. He's the one and only good shepherd, but he, he is also the one with the correct and right motive. Jesus is the good shepherd by his motive. Look at his motive compared to uh, the Pharisees. First of all, notice in, in verse 1 where it talks about the people who climb in some other way, they, that they are thieves and robbers. Now look at verse 8. Verse 8. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. So those who climb in, they don't have the best intentions in mind. They they sneak in, and they are thieves. They are robbers, and they have come to steal and kill and destroy. Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, Jesus says that the Pharisees are blind guides. And he says that what they do is they are the blind leading the blind. And then eventually they will both fall into the ditch. So not only were the Pharisees blind themselves, but they were robbing other people of spiritual sights. They were misleading people, misguiding people. And the result was that people would fall with them. And you want to look at this worst case scenario. Um, um, Think of the people who experience just the internal um, um, separation from God because of the Pharisees' teaching and denial of truth. And this is aside from just the the daily robbing people of of their money as they paid made-up tithes and offerings because of the Pharisees' made-up laws. It's outside of the Pharisees robbing people of help uh, as they frequently would scoff at the peasants and beggars because they apparently earned whatever scenario they were in because of their sin. We can make the list go on and on and on, by the way, but I think you get the picture. They they, they came to kill, steal. They, They did not have the motives of the people in mind, and yet Jesus comes in and he did not come to do any of that. In fact, he came to do the very opposite. In verse 9, he came to give life. It says that he, he came to save. And then in verse 10, it says that he gives life. And not just life, but life in the full. Life to the full. Life abundant. I love this expression. Did you know that he doesn't want his sheep to just simply exist in their salvation? He doesn't want us to just be saved and then coast through life and see him in the end. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to thrive. So many Christians live just existing. They're the saved people who are too swamped or stressed to really focus on him ever. They're too stuck in their schedules and activities and careers and aspirations and goals. 
Jesus says in Matthew 13 that they're, they're choked out by the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. They have no time for Christ, and so they're absent of so much that he has for them. It's the saved person who is constantly stressed and overwhelmed in their chaotic schedule of pursuit versus the saved, the saved person who has peace at heart because they, they, they've learned to have still moments in the Lord. It's the saved person who still needs the latest and greatest toy and thing to keep them satisfied versus the saved person who is joyfully content and grateful in what they've been given. Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans says it this way, You'll, you will both get to heaven, but only one of you will get heaven to you. Only the latter gets heaven to you. Did you know that Jesus, he wants you to taste eternity now. He doesn't want you to wait until that, that day when you're with him, until you start experiencing this stuff. He wants you to know fullness of life now. He wants you to taste eternity now. He wants to bless you now. If you're too focused on blessing yourself, how are you ever supposed to find yourself in his blessing? It's the difference between living and living fully. Psalm 23 is a psalm of living fully. Um, it might be on the screen. Um, I'm going to flip open to it there. You can join me if you'd like. Psalm 23. Listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. How many people need that today? He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is fullness of life, and notice that it's not without hardship. It's not without trial, and yet it's full life. Think about your life, compare it to, to the refreshment and the stillness as portrayed in Psalm 23, what, the, what happens when you actually are following the shepherd. Are you living fully? Are you just living? This is what he wants for you. His motive is salvation, fullness of life for the sheep because he loves them. He loves his sheep. And this brings us to our next point that Jesus is the good shepherd by his love. Look at verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the same thing he says in verse uh, 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it again, up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, it's a, it's a matter of love. His motive um, of, of salvation and fullness of life, he did it because of his love. Scripture says in John 15 that there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. But in my mind, Jesus still even kicks it up a notch because Romans 5 says that while we were still sinners, he laid down his life for us. So somehow, before we even knew him, he, he, he was able to see the friendship between us in the future, and he still laid down his life. He still laid down his life. You don't do this unless you're just overwhelmed with love. And then it says here uh, in verse uh, 16, 17, somewhere in there where he talks about um, he has sheep outside of the pen. 
And he goes out. Maybe this is a a direct reference to just the fact that Gentiles will eventually be able to be part of God's people from from the Old Testament way. But now you think about how those who who are still stuck in their sin, how Jesus even died for them. There are people outside who need him. People that he's already called his sheep, but they don't know him yet. They're on the outside and he wants to draw them in. He is drawing them in and he's using his church to do it. It's a matter of love. You don't see this, by the way, in the Pharisees, do you? You do things their way or you're out of the club. That's the Pharisee way. This is not Jesus' way. And there's a pretty clear way to, to determine the weight of the love that the shepherd has towards his sheep. Which brings us to our next point, perhaps our point of of most application here, and it's the point of relationship. Jesus is the good shepherd by his relationship with his sheep. So let's look at a few things here. First, uh, in verse 3 through 5, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. It's a few aspects of our relationship as sheep with our shepherd. First of all, it's a a relationship of knowing. Right? The The shepherd knows his sheep and they know him. Now, this word know here in its original language, it doesn't mean just, you know, uh, just a general knowing of, of some fact or, or whatever. It's not that base level. This is the word uh, used to describe oneness and intimacy. It's the word to describe the oneness between a husband and his wife. It's the word that describes Jesus' oneness and knowledge of the Father. And now he uses it here, and it describes uh, Jesus' knowing of us as his sheep. It's a matter of intimacy. It's a matter of, of oneness. Right? They, know the, they know each other so well. They're so in touch with each other that the, even uh, the voice of a stranger who tries to speak um, and, and lead the sheep, it, it goes unrecognized because they're so in tune with the voice of the shepherd. Right? Did you know this? The more in touch and in tune and in knowing of the good shepherd that you are, the less you will recognize any stranger's voice. The more in tune you are to Jesus and his word, the less you will give into any thought or opinion or teaching or trend that runs contrary to your shepherd. Because you know him so well. You know his voice. You know his ways. You know his character. You spend time with him. And so anything that is not of him never gets too much of your attention. Does this describe your life right now? Right? The shepherd knows his sheep, and they know him. The shepherd calls his sheep by name, and they listen. I love that. He knows your name. He knows you individually, intimately, intrinsically. He made you. He knit you together. He certainly has a heart for his collective body uh, of, peach, of people, and he's got a purpose for that. But never forget that he has called you by name. He's called you by name. He has a, uh, 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 an, aff- an affectionate love for you as a person. He knows your name. Think about the times that you've been either commended or even disciplined 
Um, uh, you maybe, maybe you're a child, like for me, example, I, I grew up in a house with three kids, and I remember frequent times that my parents would, would come up to me and say, you know, or come up to us and just say, hey, I love you kids. Or they would discipline us as a group, you know, which never went well for them, right? But it always meant much more whenever the word wasn't, I love you kids, but Adam, I'm proud of you. I love you. That always meant more to me. That stuck more, Right? He knows your name. He calls you by name. And so when you have that relationship with him, he, he listens. We, we, we listen to him. Right? He knows his sheep by name. And now look at this. He knows his sheep and they know him. He calls his sheep by name and they listen. He leads his sheep and they follow. He leads his sheep and they follow. Because they know him. Because they trust him. Because they have that relationship with him. They follow willingly and submissively, right? There's another form of shepherding. It's kind of like the relationship I have with my dog. You prod it and torment it to get it to do what you want, right? It's a, you watch a Western movie. You think about cattle ranchers. What do they do? They use whips and they use dogs that bite to get them to go where they want. They drive them from behind. This is not Jesus' way. This is not Jesus' way. By the way, we need way less ministry leaders in this world who rely on barking and prodding and biting and whipping to get people to behave properly. This doesn't work. But we also don't need more ministry leaders who are passive and who expect to be heard and followed, but who do no work in building trust with God's people, who do no work of displaying genuine love with God's people. You take these principles and apply them to just you as parents. We need less parents relying on quick tempers and loud voices and harsh words who are constantly throwing power trips when they don't get their way. Kenzie and I have been part of the foster system for a little while now, and we've heard many horror stories of the abuses that happen as a result of this sort of parenting shepherding. And it's catastrophic. It doesn't work. I don't think it's ever worked once. It's severe. It's damaging. But we also don't need more parents who care nothing and do nothing to take the apathetic, passive approach. And this can be just as damaging. Jesus gives us a good example of shepherding that applies much further into our lives, right? If you are in any place of leadership, any place of shepherding, we see Jesus as an example for this. So this brings us to a character in the setting that we've not yet focused on, but he's going to help us get to our final point. We'll get there, I promise. Look at verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Look later at verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks, and the flock, uh, attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Uh, these are multiple titles, uh, I believe, for the same role. The gatekeeper, the watchman, the hired hand, the hireling, whatever your translation says. This is uh, multiple titles for the same role. And in 1 Peter 5, um, this person is referred to as the under-shepherd. The under-shepherd. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, this is what it says. To the elders among you, it's the same concept, elders, gatekeepers. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing. 
as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples in the flock. And when the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's hard to imagine that Peter isn't thinking about the Pharisees when he wrote that. Jesus himself, he is the chief shepherd, and so all who oversee anyone spiritually can learn much from his example, right? But this is a title reserved to Jesus. He is the chief shepherd, no one else is. However, there are these under-shepherds, these hired hands, these gatekeepers. These are the people that we, as, as ministers uh, in the gospel, identify with specifically. These are the guys that tend to the sheep for the good shepherd because he is the owner, the good shepherd, their true leader and source of flourishing, not the hired hand. By the way, beware of any pastor or elder or overseer that acts like an owner. This is not our place. This is his. This aligns with our current church age as Christ calls up under-shepherds to tend to his church while waiting for his return. And he points out two kinds of under-shepherds here. Hired hands, gatekeepers, same thing. Look at verse 12. This person abandons the sheep and runs away. This man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. This is one way to do it. It's not the right way. This is, this is the, the, the poor under-shepherd. This person is constantly uh, tempted by cowardice and selfishness. They're in it for the money. Um, they're, they're not in it for the well-being of the sheep. They're in it to be served. They're not uh, in it to serve. They're in it... Um, um, not for anything that, they're not up for the sacrifice required to protect and guard the flock. Cowards. They're selfish. And then you got verse 3. Verse 3. The gatekeeper. And this guy just opens the gate for Jesus. I love the contrast between these two. There's one style that is in it purely for selfish game. And there's another style of under-shepherding that simply opens the gate for Jesus. That's their, that's their task. Open the gate for Jesus. I love this. By the way, this is what we strive to do always at FBN. And I'll be the first to tell you that this ministry isn't perfect because, because I'm part of this ministry here. So I know for a fact it's not perfect. And I'll be honest with you when I say that I've, not, that, that I've had my own temptations with being the, the verse 12 guy. But I can say confidently that we, that we do strive towards, towards the verse 3 guy where our sole job is to open the gate for Jesus because we understand he's the owner. He's the only good chief shepherd. He's the only one that can offer you life and life to the full. And so our sole task in this place is to, to open the gate for him so that he can come in and speak to you and lead you. So much of this job as we are talking about this week is just awareness. We don't want you to see us. We want you to see him. We got nothing for you. We got nothing for you, but he has everything. And this is why he, he helps us bring us to our last point, because, because we cannot do what Jesus can do because he has the authority to do what he can do. Jesus is the good shepherd by his authority. Let's look lastly here at verse 18 uh, through our passage. No one takes his life from him. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? 
But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We've looked at it pretty deeply already. Spoke of his authority as being one with the Father. And this means that he was in full authority and control as he willingly laid down his life for his sheep. The shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Knowing each of our names as he was in agony on the cross. Thinking of you individually, thinking of your name as he was struck, thinking of my name as he was mocked, thinking of us as he was pierced and killed. And he rose again from the dead with your name in mind, and in his power and authority he offers healing to your blindness, and he is the only one that can do it. If this man is really demon-possessed, then how is he able to open the eyes of of a man who was blind from birth? Jesus is the only one who can make a blind man see. He has the authority. He has the power. And he is the only one who can remove the veil of blindness from your heart, from my heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.16 says, Anyone who turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And perhaps you're here, and, and what happened today for you is that the Lord revealed to you your blindness. Praise God for this. For the first time, you see your blindness, and you know your need, and today you know who it is you need. You need the good shepherd. He loves you. He's been affectionately calling you. In this moment, he is doing that very thing. Turn to him today. Let him remove the veil. Ask him into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your blindfulness, of your sinfulness. And starting today, you can follow him so that you may have life and life to the full. Believers, who who are you following today? Who is your shepherd? Is he truly the shepherd of your life? Are you living fully or are you just simply living? And don't justify, justify your life into the correct answers. Ask these questions honestly and humbly. Don't automatically justify your way into good answers. Take an honest look at your life, at your schedule, at your priorities, at your relationships, at the voices of influence in your life. Meditate on Psalm 23 for a while and let the Lord speak into your heart on this matter. Be authentic and humble with him and he'll be faithful to you. And if you make a decision in either way of these, if you know that you need him, you've seen your blindness today, you can can respond in so many ways. In one way, we're going to have communion. Uh, you you, you You can come before the cup, come before the body of Christ that he poured out for you. Confess of your sins, repent today. He'll be in your life forever. Or maybe you're here and you just need some prayer because you're struggling with some stuff. He's not been the shepherd of your life. You can be honest about it. You've been struggling with some things. You've been getting choked out by some things. We want to pray with you. We want to to tend to you in that area. We have teams designed to do that. Get a prayer card that's in front of you in one of the seats. or, Or even get the other card if there's no prayer card and just jot it down. Put it in one of those black boxes back there. We'll get it. We'll pray for you. We'll tend to you in that way. We would love to do that. That's why we're here, to open the gate for Jesus in your life. This is the sole reason we're here. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you do a work this morning that only you can do. Uh, Beyond everything, beyond uh, all of the moving pieces and um, beyond all the things that could have potentially been distracting, we ask that most of all you would just... God, use your word to draw us into yourself as, as sheep who willingly and submissively uh, follow after you. 
God, for those in this room who have never known you as their shepherd, and so they've never known life in the full. They know that they've been wanting. They know that they've been uh, void in areas, that they felt the void in their, in their hearts. Um, God, they, they know they're blind, and, and today they, they understand who it is they need. I pray that today would be the day that they would give their lives to you. God, for those in here who um, could honestly say that they have been um, living as though you are not the shepherd, as though they themselves are the shepherd, they've been the owner of their own life, God, I pray that today you might um, just do, uh, do a work in their lives. Father, let them know that they have needs in their life that, that only you can meet. God, humble them if you need to. Do whatever you need to do to allow them to be sheep who humbly and submissively follow after you, and so in doing so, they, they, they know the fullness of life that you have for them. God, do this work today. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.